Hey guys, welcome to the show where we talk about your psychology issues that go on in between your ears that may seem confusing. And because they're confusing, you can't really manage them. Ultimately, difficult to make the decisions that you want. So let's get really clear. Let's nail down exactly what your psychological issues are, and then that will give us all the information we need, more than enough information to to work through them. You know, I think a lot of people, and this is partly based on, you know, a lot of philosophical religious influences in Western civilization, um, people have this idea that morality or doing the right thing, as Spike Lee would say, is this round, right, square peg, round hole. They, they feel like they're the square peg and morality is this round hole up there, you know, kind of maybe above them, and they need to fit somehow in that roundness, that spheroid of perfection, often a representation of God, right? A circle and, and man represented as a square, I think. You know, any idiot can draw a square or a rectangle, but I think that maybe that's one of the um, indications that a child has innate artistic talent is how well they can draw a circle. Uh, and people feel like, yeah, you know, I'm just not built for doing the right thing, so I gotta force myself to do it somehow. And I think a lot of that is based on, I would argue, unprocessed baggage. You have unprocessed baggage that makes you eh, maybe tend to see divinity as this thing above you and not your nature. And then you are this square idiot down there. And oh, maybe sometimes you can reach divinity and, and force your way into this round hole of divinity. But, uh, ah you know, it's difficult to do and it's, you're not going to be consistent, you know, waking up at 5 a.m. and going on a 10 mile run. Yeah, it's great to do. Oh, I can't do it all the time. But I think a lot of this pressure that we put on ourselves to do the right thing, however we define that, uh, we'll get to that, I think, next week. Got a presentation coming up on that. However, we define healthy values in relationship with our psychology. It's a uh, it um, so I mean just that kind of framework of looking at it I, I think comes from a place of you're trying to think about the issue before you process emotional baggage so it looks like that but I think the more we process our emotional issues the more we understand exactly how to do that and just engage with that process of becoming more aware then I think maybe you'll see the 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 roundness of divinity maybe more as a an oval maybe based on your perception you'll see your squareness more as more as a circle I think it just makes for the, the consistency in doing what you believe to be the right thing for you how you define that yeah it just makes it more consistent which is what I said uh, it really takes a lot of pressure off morality I think I think what a lot of us perceive to be morality is actually immorality but it uh, dressed up, but but it looks like morality when we can't manage our issues. I mean, I, I guess that's kind of vague, but but you get the feeling of what I'm going for there. You know, it's not it's not this thing up there that you need to achieve, and you're this idiot down here. Manage your issues, and they kind of equalize. That's the idea, and that's what I want to help you with here. Yeah, I mean, we got a, a great presentation, I think, coming next week on values in psychology. I was going to do it today, but you know, there's just something missing about it. I, I need a few more slides on epistemology. <laughs> this presentation is boring, and I like the boringness, but it could be a little bit more boring, so that's what 
I'm going for, ooh, there's a deer out there, a big one. We have mule deer around here. They're usually not that big, but that was a, a bigger one. So I'm going for boringness here, right? So I think I can make the presentation a little bit more boring. I mean, it, yes, it is boring. I get that, and it can put you to sleep. I hope it does that. It puts me to sleep. But, you know, there's this thing that's missing in psychology and therapy, the way that we talk about it. This thing that, that's missing is rigor. There is not a lot of rigor behind a lot of thoughts that lead to therapy. And we're going to get into that today when we talk about Fritz Perls, but... Uh, you know, there's lots of instances, there's lots of iterations of the lack of rigor that we can identify that come up in psychology, the way that it's practiced, the way that it's run in graduate school. I think you guys know my history. I was kicked out of one graduate school, uh, dropped out of another. And I think the main problem, you know, we can look at a lot of instances of the lack of rigor, but I think the main problem is really just a lack of rigor. I was just talking about this with somebody. Maybe that's why I'm talking about it now. Is in an ethics class, we were talking about euthanasia. I don't care what your view on euthanasia is. I have my view. I, th you know, I'm pretty firm in my view on when to do it, how to do it. But, but the problem with this discussion isn't that people had, you know, quote the wrong view on euthanasia. Is that people were just raising their hand in the classroom, and this is, you know, supposedly a really nice university, you know, prestigious, you could say. And people were giving their thoughts on euthanasia. It was just their thoughts. They're just their thoughts and feelings. And this is what I feel. This is what I think. Oh, you feel that way? You feel differently than I feel? Well, we're not going to discuss. We're not going to figure out you know, where you're coming from and where I'm coming from and to, to come to some sort of negotiation or resolution based on, you know, like a very Hegelian uh, thesis, antithesis, synthesis kind of thing. No, we're not going to do that. We're, oh, okay. You, you think that way. I think this way. You, you feel the, you have those feelings. I have my feelings, I validate you, you validate me, or you say you do, but you're just mouthing the words. I don't know if you really do. And it was, just, I, I just remember the feeling of, uh, you know, like like the Red Queen analogy, like like the faster you run, the more the environment keeps up with you, or the more you eat, the hungrier you get. You know, that's how they make sumo wrestlers really fat, is, is they take Japanese cuisine, which is really healthy, and then, you know, most Americans, I think, just eat Japanese cuisine, you know, fish and rice, of some vegetables, it's probably going to be healthy. But so this, they take regular Japanese cuisine and they just put dextrose on it. So you just, <laughs> you know, you put dextrose. Rice will fill you up, but if you put dextrose on rice, the more you eat, the hungrier you'll get. That kind of just famished for dealing with fundamental principles. And that's what I want to talk about today with uh, with Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy. I got a question from a listener on this. Thank you guys for these questions. If you have a question for me, there's a contact form on the website or animus at animusempire.com. I, I just really, you know, just again, I, I know I say this before, but it just I think it makes this channel so much more helpful if you you ask me questions on, you know, give me topics to talk about, and I talk about those as opposed to me sitting here uh, just thinking, uh, just thinking, right? more in touch with reality, more in touch with what you guys are going through. That's helpful for me. That's helpful for you. Uh, so Fritz Perls, Gestalt Therapy, uh, he was this um, psychologist, 20th century psychologist. And I think it's important just to put him in the context of the 20th century because Fritz Perls, I mean, in Gestalt Therapy, because I, th I think um, my overall view on this, um, and just to let you know, this is not about Gestalt Therapy necessarily or Fritz Perls. I've done zero research. This is just what I remember from learning about Fritz Perls and Gestalt Therapy in school. 
Uh, so I may get some things wrong and things may be a little bit incorrect, but I, I do know the, the gist, which is important for my main point here, which is going to be, in a sense, where's the rigor? Where's the fundamental principles? I view Fritz Perls as a very intelligent guy, and I agree with a lot of what he says. In fact, uh, I, would, I would like to name the therapy that I do, I would like to name it Gestalt therapy. Gestalt meaning whole greater than the sum of the parts. It's this cool German word. It's, you know, very, so it has like that sheen to it, which I would really like, but it's already, the name is already taken. Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy, I think, exemplifies the best of a poor culture or poor civilization. You could argue it that way. Uh, you know, very much like Aristotle. Uh, I think Aristotle is a genius. I do not throw around that word. I think there's maybe been 10 people since Aristotle that I would call geniuses. Aristotle's a genius. But he comes from the civilization where he just couldn't see a few things. And so he really couldn't put a full coherent view of, of philosophy together. You know, I just don't think he saw, you know, the, the Greeks were great in the sense that they saw knowledge as important, but they really didn't understand how it mattered. I don't think you could have seen how knowledge really mattered until industrialization really began to happen or more of a market economy began to happen with Francis Bacon. And of course, he famously said, knowledge is power. Look, we can take these philosophical principles and apply, the, uh, apply them in a certain way, the scientific method, in a sense, a process for induction, and we can actually come up with a, not only is knowledge a fun thing to talk about in uh, the university classroom, you know, arguing how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. I mean, that's all well and good and, and a lot of fun. And nobody <laughs> appreciates nail gazing more than I do. But we can actually use this knowledge for our own practical benefit. Whoa, imagine that. And I, I also don't think, that, you know, Aristotle, because by dint of the civilization he lived in, he just really didn't understand individualism. Yes, there are these signs that, you know, and, and the Greeks understood individualism way more than uh, the Babylonians did, right? But it's just missing that extra piece that wasn't yet developed in the psyche of Western thought. And that's how I kind of view uh, uh, Fritz Perls here, is I think a lot of what he says in Gestalt therapy, I'm going to go through some of these concepts. These concepts are, are great, and, and they've influenced me. I, I don't think Fritz Perls was the first uh, therapist to use the term boundary, but I use that boundary because of Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy. I use that term boundary because of Fritz Perls and Gestalt therapy. I think that's a great term for one of the branches that I view to be uh, psychology. Um, yeah, so there's great principles here. There's great concepts, but there's no, what I would say, the key word, the buzzword around here, there's no unification. And what does unification mean? That there's no breaking down these, I think, ultimately healthy principles. We'll talk more about this next week, I think. There's no breaking down of these healthy principles to, to fundamental parts. To, there's no epistemological web that ties these principles together. And I think because of that, because there's no epistemological web that ties these principles together, the really, Gestalt therapy really suffers in the methodology and how it's practiced, and we'll get to that. So a few of the concepts here uh, that Fritz Perls discusses is uh, a lot of, he says a lot of neurosis stems from, looking at these notes, sorry, uh, that stems from difficulty with boundaries. People don't have strong boundaries, and that's where a lot of neurosis stems from. True, 
He says, lack of responsibility for your life causes neurosis. True. But he's missing, I think, you know, if you watch two and a half of my videos, he's missing a piece there. there there's, there's just some inexact usage, right? There's uh, like, what is exactly does he mean by lack of responsibility for life? And uh, I know he doesn't get into that. He, he doesn't demarcate exactly what that means. I, I know he doesn't do that. And it shows up in the methodology. We'll get to it. Big part of uh, Gestalt therapy is saying that unexpressed, unexpressed emotions cause neurosis. True. And I, he has the stages for unexpressed emotions. I forget what they are. Uh, but, but it's somewhere on this, the spectrum of repression to suppression to expression. Right? And he says the more that you express emotions, uh, feelings, this is that this leads to the resolution of neurosis, which is generally true. I would, of course, argue you need to express feelings in a certain way. Same thing with responsibility. You're not responsible for everything, but you are responsible for key aspects of your life. Um, and then ultimately, you know, th this great word is awareness. Oh, not only awareness, he talks about awareness, self-awareness. I mean, that seems pretty obvious, but he says specifically, I think this is great and very true, but uh, focusing on yourself leads to awareness. When you're in therapy, keeping the focus on yourself. I get that directly from Fritz Perls in Gestalt Therapy. I, I mean, um, I get that also from Jung. You know, you look at these principles and Jung um, would agree with all these. And I think Jung has more of a philosophical, epistemological framework for defending these, which I think why Jung is ultimately the... Uh, the better therapist and, and more of an influence on me. But but some of these ideas, you know, I get, you know, parts of it based on my experience. But, oh, yeah, that's something that they talk about in Gestalt Therapy and Fritz Perls, you know, focusing on yourself. Uh, so what's the irony here? You know, we, we talk about you know, that term Gestalt. You have these different parts of a, of a view and each, and you take the parts together and you create a whole greater than the sum of the parts but I think the irony here, the paradox here, is this actually is not a gestalt. <laughs> he, he misses a gestalt because there's no, um, there's no epistemological framework. There, there's no grounding for these principles. There, there's no like one fountainhead from which all these different principles emerge. Though I think that these principles are ultimately healthy. And, you know, look, if you're going to go out and, and find a therapist to work with, I would find somebody who would claim to at least to be a gestalt therapist. I think more often than not, you're going to get a better therapeutic experience if somebody is influenced by gestalt therapy. But I think they're they're going to miss something in the, the methodology. Though I, I do think there are good, like I think the empty chair techniques come from Fritz Perls and gestalt. In uh, gestalt, like, you know, you have, in a sense, a role-playing conversation with somebody and you literally put a chair in front of you, which totally helps and you put a empty chair in front of you which totally helps so if there's some unresolved issues with your father it, this can work whether your father's dead or alive but you know people often use this when, when their father's dead because they can't of course talk with their father when they're dead you put an empty chair in front of you and you imagine a conversation and you express your emotions you, you talk about how you're responsible with your father you know this image that this projected image of your father that's in your mind's eye, you know, you, you put him there and you, you talk with him, things will happen. Things will happen. Um, you know, you'll get some, uh, 
psychological gear is turning. And I think if your father is alive, it'll make that conversation, that connection with him ultimately a lot more helpful. And I think the connection is important. But yeah, yeah, so I think the methodology, how these principles are put into practice lacks is lacking because there's no foundation for these principles, which is ultimately, I think, where the methodology comes from. And I, I think probably the thing that Fritz Perls is best known for is his video that you can find it on YouTube. Just, just search uh, Fritz Perls Gloria. There's It's an it's a interaction between him and this patient Gloria, so-called Gloria, and uh, he's confrontational with her. And why is he being confrontational with her? Because... Well, what is it, confrontational or is it just rude? He's kind of being rude to her. And what, he wa- what does he want her to do? He want the- So Gloria is poor with boundaries. You know, Fritz Perls talks about it. And he- she has neurosis because she's poor, poor with boundaries. Uh, he's rude to her. And what he's trying to do is elicit a strong boundary response within Gloria. So he's being rude, rude to her. This is really... Though it can work and you can elicit a strong boundary response from a patient if you're rude to them, right? right? Put them in a corner, you know, like cat trapped in a box kind of thing. They're going to freak out and they may have the semblance of having a strong boundary, but that's not what builds a boundary. That's not where a strong boundary comes from. And Fritz Perls doesn't get that because he just sees, oh, look, people who have strong boundaries have less neurosis than people who have weak boundaries. Okay, so we just need people to have strong boundaries, but again, there's no fundamentals to that. What is the foundation for having a strong boundary? And when you understand that, then you understand the methodology behind having a strong boundary, and then you don't have to be confrontational or rude like this in the clinic, which, look, I would love to be really confrontational and rude. That's fun for me, but that's not that's not helpful for the, the patient, even if you can elicit a strong boundary response in the moment. It's not what they need. What they need is the process through which, engage in a process through which you will go on to create strong boundaries. And, and I think it's indicated that you know pe- uh, people who will say they're Gestalt therapists will practice so-called Gestalt therapy in very different ways because there is no consistent methodology, because there is no epistemology behind these concepts, healthy though they may be. And that's what this misses, right? It'd be because Fritz Perls misses this unification, because he, he misses this uh, th- these fundamental principles, and I think a lot of this comes from you know his intellectual development, what he was going through. I think he was born around um, 1900. Uh, so because of the influences, intellectual influences that he had growing up in Germany in the time. I, I just don't think he could have, I think he's, you know, he's a smart guy, he's probably smarter than I am. I just don't think he had the capacity for really developing a so-called gestalt view of therapy. That's why I would call myself way more influenced by Jung, because Jung had that rigor. Jung talked, you know, he agrees with all these principles. He's like, yeah, you got to have boundaries, you got to express emotions, but, but where does this come from? Why does this matter? Yeah, you focus on the self. Why? Why would we do that? Here, let me write 17 volumes on this. That's what Jung did, and Fritz Perls didn't do that. And that's also why Jung had a more definite methodology. He actually had steps he had to go through in therapy. 
which I take and I apply now. I mean, you know, I think Jung is still, you know, as much as an empiricist as he was, he still couldn't really nail it down. And that's ultimately what I want to do here is I want to take Jung's concepts, Jung's ideas, and make them more, uh, yeah, palatable. Palatable, that, that was going to be the word I said. That's true, but, but palpable. You can really wrap your mind around them and just make them more, more concrete. And hopefully uh, more clear. Right? And that's what I want to do here through the therapy that I offer. We do free consultations. Animus at animus, uh, or excuse me, animusempire.com slash schedule. Again, if you guys have questions, animus at animusempire.com. Or there's a contact form on the website. Thank you guys. Remember that uh, you may know what ethical principles are healthy to live by. You may know that. Consciously, you may be able to recite them on some level, but unless you understand the process by which you adhere to them, then you're probably not going to. <laughs>